that song has always been that way for me. It's just been so intense. And it was another one of those songs, man, but I like, you know, at the end of the day, you knew you were going to play that one and you're going to feel better after. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. My friend, typically Aaron, he's not with us today. In fact, uh, he's not on this episode at all, so make sure you go follow him on Instagram and Twitter at Aaron Punk. Just say, hey, say we miss you, bud. Anyway, this uh, episode features myself sitting down with Jonathan Ford of uh, the band Unwed Sailor and formerly of the band Roadside Monument. And we chat about his five favorite Roadside Monument songs, as well as the new record from Unwed Sailor and, you know, how that whole project came about. Um, Yeah, it's a really great conversation. It was a ton of fun. So I think you're really going to enjoy it. But before we hop into it, just going to do some housekeeping. You can go follow us at Growing Punk Pod on Instagram, Twitter and TikTok. And uh, of course, wherever you're listening to the show, make sure you tell your friends about it. You give us a rating on on things like uh, Apple Podcasts to help uh, kind of spread the word. And yeah, just just really just tell your friends. That's the easiest way to do things, right? Anyway, without further ado, let's not waste any more time. This is my conversation with Jonathan Ford of Unwed Sailor and Roadside Monuments about his five favorite roadside songs. It's funny because um, I don't know if you if this was passed on to you, but I was just listening to your episode of Washed Up Emo uh, that oh, you cool. were, that you were on, and I was like, man, this guy, this would be an interesting uh, conversation to have. And then lo and behold, I think it was like maybe because I kind of listen to podcasts in like chunks here and there, sort of thing. And so I think it was like the day I finished listening to it, I got the emails like that's. That's pretty hilarious. <laughs> I was like, I was just thinking about, oh, I wonder how I could get this guy on the show. And then, uh, oh, nice. Re- yeah, received an email. So that worked out really well. So, uh, how, how's, uh, how's life? How's the summer treating you so far? Where are you? Where do you live? Uh, uh Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, is it, I, I mean, I guess it's probably hot there a lot of the time, but is it? Yeah, it's, well, it's been really rainy, uh, like a lot of rain, but it's okay. super humid. Yeah. Uh, and, and we, we have these weird rain spurts where it rains for like a week straight, right? which I, I don't really remember that happening before, but yeah, um, but it's still hot. It's still humid. Yeah. We're, we're in the middle of a a heat wave right now, which is uncommon for, so I'm in Edmonton, like up in Alberta and it, it gets warm, like it gets hot in the summer, but usually it's like, you know, if you get a day, I don't know what it would translate to in Fahrenheit, but you know, like a 30 degree day up here is pretty hot. And the last week or so, we've been hanging out a lot closer to 40, which um, I wonder what that is in Fahrenheit now that now that I think about it. I feel like I used to know that stuff. But... Yeah, 
I feel like I'm always like surprised when <laughs> when I see him like okay okay so like just the other day we hit 39 which is 102 degrees Fahrenheit which uh, is is pretty dang hot I think there was whoa yeah that's hot <laughs> yeah there is just like in in British Columbia so province over there were areas where they were hitting 49 Celsius which is 120 degrees Fahrenheit which is just stupid <laughs> no wow. thank you yeah yeah so, but. I mean, I've been kicking it in the AC, and then we've got uh, a pool in the backyard, like a, an above-ground pool. So we've been doing just fine. Yeah. Yeah, man. So, um, yeah. You want to you wanna talk about music? Yeah, let's do it. Or just the weather, or do you just want to talk about the weather? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I think we covered it. Yeah. It's, yeah, hot. it's hot. <laughs> Where you are, it's rainy and muggy here. Yeah, there you go. That, that sums it up well. So I, I guess maybe the first question did you grow up in a home with a lot of music in it or like what led to you i guess getting into playing music well i i discovered music pretty much on my own my my parents uh they they weren't really into music uh they were older they were my grandparents so you know their record collection was like vinyl that they hadn't listened to in probably 20 years or something like that right um so it's a lot of classical records like rodney dangerfield comedy records All right yeah uh stuff like that so you know this was in the 70s uh early 80s so you know there it was like eight tracks and vinyl and cassettes hmm. but the majority were eight tracks and vinyl so yeah. i would um i would just go through my my parents record collection and listen to classical music yeah. Rodney Dangerfield, um, you know, and then, or then like my parents would buy me like a Mickey Mouse Club or the Smurfs All Star Show soundtrack or something <laughs> like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, I was you know as a, a little kid, I was doing that. But I, I even at that age, I really loved classical music a lot, mm. and I, I would, you know, I would do a thing where I would like. Uh, listen to records and read books at the same time. Yeah, I, yeah. I really like doing that. Uh, so, you know, there, I kind of fell in love with music on my own. I just mm. liked how it made me feel. Um, you know, as a little kid, I, I loved to like, to like lip sync the stuff and I would like dance around and lip sync and um, do little shows for my parents like that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I just loved it. Music just took me somewhere. Uh, so it, 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 and, uh, I was the only child too. So I, I didn't hang around a lot of other kids all the time. Mm. So I think the music thing was just kind of a friend and just made me feel something really cool. So I just, you know, grabbed onto it. So you mentioned real quick there, um, you love listening to music and reading. Is that still, cause I know yeah. some people will say like, they need silence when they're reading or what have you, just like any removing any distractions. So is that still a way that you would read? Like, would you put music on or is it strictly even music that like you said, maybe you were just speaking strictly about classical. So no, no lyrics, but, um, is that something you still do? Uh, it, yes, I do. Um, like I'm really into science fiction and fantasy. Hmm. Uh, so if I'm reading that kind of stuff, usually I'll, I'll listen to ambient music. Right. Um, or classical or something. Um, cause I, I, 
for some reason, I really need to focus in on that stuff because it can get kind of complex. Yeah, totally. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, Game of Thrones, for example. I mean, yeah. that's just so, so insane. But for example, like right now, I'm reading Tony Hawk's autobiography. So right. for that, I can listen to, you know, Pavement or Sonic right. Youth or yeah. or whatever. I, yeah. uh, the it's a it's a little less. I have to focus a little less when I read that. The only so I think reason, it depends on the focus. Yeah. You know? I'll say the only reason I ask is because I've mentioned this a few times on different episodes of the show where I I love, like my favorite kind of book to read typically is um, maybe biographies or autobiographies of musicians, but more almost like uh, books that kind of capture what a scene was as it developed sort of thing. So, um, or multiple scenes i suppose like just examples would be our band could be your life being one book that yeah I really loved. great book um, yeah and then another book that's in a similar vein uh is a book called post which kind of chronicles more like the post hardcore thing after it almost picks up after our band could be your life finishes and then it kind of takes oh, it wow. on from yeah like the earth it starts in the 80s but focuses mainly on like the mid to late 90s kind of stuff but but in in reading those i absolutely love like listening to the bands that they're talking about right so those books specifically are divided by chapters by band and so while i'm reading that chapter i'm just listening to that band sort of thing and it's just something that oh that i kind of that's really cool yeah yeah the the problem i would have with that is i would it would be too like i would be so focused on all the information i'm reading about the band yeah and then i would be hearing the band so i would like (laughs) try to focus in on what i'm hearing so i would be it would really confuse my brain, but I love that. I'm such a nerd about that kind of stuff though. Like reading about bands and you know, all the facts and where they were when they recorded this record or what happened and all that stuff. Love it. There's just something about, about like, I mean, for sure, sometimes it can be a little distracting having kind of, I guess, two mediums of information trying to get your attention at the same time. Right. Like, but um, yeah. But there's something neat about, like you kind of mentioned it there in like reading about where this band recorded this or what was going on at this point or whatever, and listening to that music at the same time. And it's, because there's right. actually been a few random times where I'll be reading, and then in the book it'll say something like, you know, he, this singer or songwriter wrote this lyric about this that was going on in his life, and literally as I'm like reading that, the song is playing purely like coincidentally, right? Like not like I like cued it up, but I'm like, oh that's weird like that's pretty meta right there but um, that's cool yeah it's kind of neat but uh speaking of you know kind of those books and and scenes and stuff like that do you remember the first you know punk or hardcore band or album or what have you that kind of introduced you to that whole world of music uh well as far as the as far as punk rock um uh i you know skateboarding was my life in the 80s Mm -hmm. so and I, I discovered skateboarding before I discovered punk, right. but skateboarding definitely definitely led me into punk. I mean, it's pretty much impossible to skateboard in the '80s and not find punk, right? Because <laughs> they were so intertwined. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was the thing. Uh, you know, I was skateboarding a lot, and I remember uh, I was out skateboarding, and I met another kid, another skater, and so we start talking. And, you know, he's he's like, hey, have you ever heard of Agent Orange? And I'm like, what's that? And they're like, oh, they're a punk band. Hmm. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So, 
you know, the next day I go down to Camelot Music or whatever in the mall and find Agent Orange. Mm-hmm. And I start listening to Agent Orange and I love it and I connect with it. And it, you know, it was really just that kind of like, uh, you know, back then it was really just meeting someone on the street or word of mouth kind of thing. And, you know, then once you get into Agent Orange, like you're skating some kid's ramp and he's playing the Dead Kennedys. And hmm. so you're like, who's that? And he's like, oh, it's yeah. the Dead Kennedys. So then you go back to Camelot and <laughs> buy the Dead Kennedys tape, you know? Yeah. yeah. And, um, and then you go and you buy Thrasher magazine and open it up and there's the skate rock section. And, you know, you see all, here's, you know, oh, who's the Misfits? Yeah. So, you know, it just kind of starts like that. And, you know, and then from there you start, then you stumble into new wave music or alternative music like mm-hmm. the Smiths and Depeche Mode and, you know, all the classics, New Order. So, yeah, you know, it, it's just, and I, I feel like for most people, uh, especially back then in the 80s, it was such this kind of counterculture world, that whole scene that once you stumble into that stuff, you're like in, yeah. you know, you found you found your, your people, mm. you know, in, in your way. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much how I discovered it. Do you, is, cause I mean, nowadays we can obviously discover music, so much music so easily, right? Like someone, you can still discover it in a similar manner where someone tells you about it, but then right. you can just open your Spotify or your Apple music or YouTube or what have you, whatever you have nearest to you. And you can just pull it up. And you're like, okay, yeah, I like this. Or no, I don't like this. And then move on. Or even something like, oh, okay, maybe I'll listen to this later. And then you forget about it. Like, do you ever, do you still discover music in the same way? Like, do you save it at all and go, I'm going to go, you know, take a chance on that by, by going and buying it from my local record store? Or is it just more the, you know, it's so accessible and easy now? Well, uh, I definitely use streaming to discover things. Yeah. And if I, if I like it, I'll buy it. I, I'm I'm an avid music buyer. Yeah. Like I full on believe in that. And it I still just get a kick out of buying a record. Like yeah. I just love it. So uh you know, there are some bands uh where I will just automatically buy the record right. before I hear it. Um uh prime example uh would be like the latest hum record. Right. Like I didn't even need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I want I I pre-ordered it before I even listened to anything. Yeah. Um, so there are uh, cases like that um, where, where bands that I just, you know, I have trusted for so long that yeah. I just love what they do. Um, but a lot of stuff I do, you know, I still do get the recommendations or the word of mouth things like, Oh, yeah. have you heard this band? So I'll go to Apple music or whatever and mm-hmm. save it you know, and listen to it. And if I like it, I'll buy it. Sure. It's funny. Like just going through my, like my Apple music library every now and then I'll just like be scrolling through and I'll be like, who are most of these bands, you know, because whether it was someone recommended them or, you know, I checked them out when they had a new album come out and I saw it on some, you know, like new release list. And then I listened to it and okay, that could be interesting, but then just never came back to it. There are so many artists in my list. And that's one thing I think that, you know, it kind of, not that, I don't, it doesn't suck in a sense, but like a little bit gets lost in, um, you know, like the, the digital streaming world is there are so many of these, if I had, 
purchase those albums. I mean, then you go through the process of sitting down and you bought it, you hold it in front of you, you listen to it much in the same, like when I buy, you know, new, not even necessarily new records, but when I buy records that are new to me anyway, even, um, you know, that process still exists, right? Like you, you're sitting there, you're holding, you know, the jacket, you're going, if it comes with a, you know, a nice detailed insert, you're going through that sort of thing, right? Like, um, so digital streaming definitely lacks that a little bit, but at the same point, it's fantastic because someone can tell you about a band and you can decide right then and there without, you know, going and laying down 10, 15 bucks or whatever, whether or not you like it, right? Like there's yeah. less risk, I suppose. <laughs> but I, uh, I, you know, the whole process of listening to a physical CD record cassette, whatever is, is yeah. pretty sacred to me. Like I, I really love it. And, um, I do, there is a disconnect with me and streaming. Like it, when I listen to a record on streaming, there is some kind of disconnect and I, I don't know how to explain it. Uh, it just must be because I'm older and Mm. I grew up hearing music a certain way. And, you know, I mean, listening to, um, God, you know, whatever album I, I loved growing up new order substance, you know, I mean, listening to that record over and over and over and over and owning it and you know uh the cd case is cracked and you know i put that cd in the cd player so many times and the books all bent up and yeah you know it it was just it they're like artifacts or something you know (laughs) they're like these like uh i i just i loved that cd yeah like it beyond the music the physical product i loved it it was like a companion almost Mm. Yeah. So I I still hold that really sacred and um yeah, it's so important to me and there is something about, you know, sitting down on my couch and putting a record on. There's a relaxation element of it too that I don't get sure, yeah. with you know, streaming something. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. just it's a it's a and it's weird. It's kind of a mystical thing, you know, yeah. uh, that I'm glad that I have inside of me that I can appreciate. Mm. It's interesting. Cause like for me, I know I've heard people, you know, they'll say, Oh, I prefer the sound of, you know, listening to it on vinyl or even on CD or what have you like digital streaming. It's all compressed and all the stuff. That's not even like the thing for me, you know? And I, and I don't know if that's a thing for you, but what you were touching on there is just like this kind of, you know, there's a different experience in just actually, you know, putting a record on and sitting down and listening to it. Obviously records, even more so than CDs are more intentional because you're only going to get 15 to 20 minutes in before you got to flip the thing over typically. Right. So, um, you know, there is actually a physical like practice to it versus, you know, just throwing headphones on or connecting to your Bluetooth speaker or whatever, and just hitting play and, and listening. But I mean, I could I could talk for for hours about listening to records and listening to music in general, but um, we won't. <laughs> well, you know, uh, speaking of uh, records, uh, I'm a big Seven Seconds fan. Okay. And uh, they they just uh, Trust Records just reissued the Crew. Okay. Uh, this uh, uh, on vinyl, and man, I got that in the mail, and the packaging is so cool. Like, yeah. It's one of the coolest reissues I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I was just thought I'd just throw it in. It's like sitting over here next to me and I like just looked waiting. at it. Yeah. So I thought I'd mention it. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. But it, you bring up a point there too is like, I mean, there's, there's nothing that beats opening up, you know, whether it's a, you know, 
a first pressing or a reissue or whatever and you open it up and pull it out you know like a nice glove i actually have beside me <laughs> i don't know why it's down here but it's like from from clarity like the jim like jimmy world and it's like this full like fold out thing and there's just like different things yeah. that came like that's always nice when you pull that out but i don't know how many times i've picked up you know bought a record and you get it home and it's literally just like a paper sleeve inside and a download card and i'm like ah that kind of like takes away a little bit i get there's a cost to putting more into it but at the same point i'm like i mean i might as well just listen to this maybe on on streaming right like but yeah yeah i know i know what you mean uh yeah but i'm okay with that too you know i mean i get it you know mm-hmm. it, it just costs so much money to make vinyl for sure yeah um so you know what bums me out more i think is when i buy a cd and it comes with like really cheap packaging right that kind of bums me out more because i'm like dude it's a cd you know yeah, you could have yeah, yeah. like you could have <laughs> put a little more into this you know yeah. like it's like real thin cardboard with the yeah. white center stripe kind of thing yeah yeah um, when i wonder that bums me out more actually <laughs> well and that's fair like there's been a couple times in recent years where i've gotten cds too and i just wonder i'm like are they just putting less effort into it now in some instances because of the fact that you know, like whatever percentage of people are just listening digitally anyway. So right. does it does it make sense for an artist or a label or whoever to put that effort? Obviously, there are, I think there are some bands that just get it and they're, you know, they're, they'll always, that'll always be a part of the presentation. And if you are listening to it, just streaming, you're missing part of that presentation. And that's totally cool. But sometimes I do wonder where you like get it. And it's literally just like, you know, one, a single fold, you open it up and maybe it's just credits inside or whatever. Right. Like not right. even like, like lyrics or anything, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I've got, a, I've bought a lot of CDs like that, but yeah. so I, I, I actually, I'm a big CD fan. I That's like great. CDs a lot. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's talk about, um, roadside monument. How did, cause were, were they a band? Like, were you in the band from the very beginning? I got to So I guess first and foremost, this is kind of interesting for me because Roadside is a band that I was always familiar with. And I want to say like the first time I heard heard you guys would have been on, whether it was like Songs from the Penalty Box or maybe it was like Cheapskate. It was some kind of, it was a tooth and nail compilation that I remember, you know, hearing you guys on. And as a kid, I was always kind of like, this is interesting, but at the time, you know, the music I was into was definitely more like pop punk, skate punk, that sort of stuff. So it was sort of outside of my, my real, I guess, comfort zone or what have you, because you guys like made music that was challenging, I suppose, you know, it wasn't just a straightforward four, four, you're going to play the one, four, five, six chords, you know, like straightforward everything all the time. Right. And I think that's, that's obvious. But as I, as I got older, you guys were a band that I would go back to being like, what were they like? So having said all that, like you're not roadside was never a band that I was super, super familiar with. So were you in the band from the very beginning or did you kind of join at a different, at a later point? I joined later. Um, They, they had released a seven inch and a full length before I joined. And um, yeah, the, the lineup, the lineup got switched around and changed. Uh, you know, originally there were four piece, mm-hmm. uh, and their bass player, uh, left. So that's when I stepped in and we were still a four piece at that time right. with the original drummer. 
and the second guitar player. Uh, and then the drummer uh, had some health issues. Uh, so we asked Matt Johnson to step in. So he, he came in as the drummer. And then Mike Dente, who was the original other guitar player, left. Hmm. So that just left me, Matt, and Doug as a three-piece. Right. And that's really when the writing started changing. Okay. Um, and it went from the kind of, you know, the the seven inch first seven inch in the 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 uh, first record was, uh, um, you know, it's kind of more like jangly indie rock kind of stuff, like right. like Tree People or okay, Arches of Loaf or something like that. Yeah. Uh, and we th- as a three piece, me, Matt, and Doug, we started writing more kind of angular post rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, we were heavily, you know, influenced by like Rodan and Slint, um, uh, yeah. like the Louisville, Kentucky, Chicago scene, like mm-hmm. Shellac. Uh, I was really influenced by, you know, kind of that er- early 90s emo stuff, you know, like Current, uh, um, Amber In, Ordination of Aaron. You know, mm-hmm. all those kind of smaller seven inch kind yeah, of bands yeah. Yeah. like the eb- ebullition scene, ebullition records. Um, so, yeah, we just kind of come all those influences just kind of like came out into the three piece roadside monument. And um, yeah, our, our sound just started changing pretty dramatically at that point. Right. So take like one small step back. How did you end up? connecting with the guys and in the band well i uh, i had moved up to seattle from mm-hmm. tulsa and i with the intention of basically being in a band i right. i wanted to play music that's all i wanted to do and this was 1994 95 seattle right so where else would you go yeah yeah that's, <laughs> you know that's fair yeah <laughs> so uh, i headed up there um and I, I had moved, I, I'd gone to, I lived in Long Beach for a little bit and Portland for a little bit. I was just trying to find my way. Mm-hmm. And I had uh, some friends. Uh, I was friends with Matt Johnson. Um, he had uh, come through Tulsa or Oklahoma on tour, and I met him there uh, at the show. So I, I had that connection with him. And I was just kind of like, going up and down the coast trying to figure out what I wanted to do, just find my place. And um, I remember that Matt lived in Seattle, so I thought, well, I'll call Matt and see if I can just come up there and figure it out. So he said to come up and I could sleep on the couch at their house, uh, the House of Funk, they called it. Yeah, Like, I think 13 people lived in there or something <laughs> like that. Um so yeah, I just moved up there and almost instantly I just got connected. Uh, uh, well, I'd known Matt and I, I met, I had heard that Roadside was recording their first record at a vast yeah. studios in Seattle. So, you know, I, I just, I kind of had no fear, man. I was just like, oh, well, I'm going to go meet those guys. So I just went up to a vast, introduced myself hmm. And just sat down on the couch with him, you know, <laughs> while they're recording the record. Yeah. And um, so then about that time is when their bass player was going to quit. So Doug asked if I wanted to play bass for them. And I was like, of course, mm. that's what I'm here to do. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, we just, you know, and then, you know, at that age too, you know, I was 21, you know, you, you make friends pretty fast. Um, so yeah, I, I was just there to make it happen. So I just tried to, you know, I made friends with everybody and just, just started going for it. Yeah. So I asked you to pick, uh, five of your favorite roadside monument songs and so I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask about whether or not you were in the band from the beginning because I had noticed that none of the songs came off of that first full length. So I kind of made an assumption that you must right. not have originally been a part of that. But So the first song you did pick was Nothing Short of a Comfortable Situation.
came off of a split with the band Frotus released in 1997. So was this one of like, was this the, like one of the first recordings that you were a part of for the band? Um, I, that was recorded after eight hours away from being a man. Okay. Uh, so I, we had already recorded an album, right? But that was that, what was cool about that recording is we actually recorded it on tour, Mm. uh, in Los Angeles. Uh, and so we were totally out of our Seattle element, you know, at that point. Um, and I cannot remember the guy who engineered it. He was in the rentals. And okay. I think he played in the rentals too, but he just had this studio and a warehouse and we just went in there for a few hours yeah. uh, and, um, and recorded it. And, uh, but I've always loved that song. Like I've always loved the bass line. Um, it's a, it's a really strange kind of angular bass line, but it's really melodic and hooky. Yeah. Um, but it's also but it's also really heavy and kind of shoegazy at the same time. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and plus the, the, I like singing on that song too. I did background vocals that I really liked to right. sing on. I was going to say like the, so I had to look this one, this was the only one that I couldn't get on streaming. Cause I, so I had to like look it up on, on YouTube. And so I was a little, at oh. first I was, yeah. So I, I don't think at least on Apple music, I don't think it's on there. Um, at least I could not find it. Maybe I just didn't look close enough, but I'm on the roadside page right now and it's not there. So, uh, but yeah, I, I love, so you brought up the bass, kind of your bass work on this song. And that is one thing that I had a note on a different song, I think. So I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but that your, your bass playing is interesting to me because there are there are some points where like you are you're going off on the bass right like um whether you've got there's there's a song for sure that we talk about where you kind of got this bass line that's working in a circle like it just kind of keeps repeating in um but without feeling like it's i don't even know if it's necessarily following what the rest of the like if if uh if there's like a chord structure that's being played at that time or whatever right it's just kind of this piece but you have this ability to write bass lines that I don't even know how to describe it. Cause I think maybe just growing up listening to like punk bass players, there's a very specific style for bass players who are playing kind of your more straight up punk, right? Like when they're just kind of walking all over the place and the, you know, if you want to, right. And, and you just have this ability to write these bass lines that are like fantastic, but never feel like they're doing anything that's trying to steal the show. If that makes sense, like it really fits so well with everything that's going on. So what, and I mean, obviously a a band member wants to do that, wants to fit together, but what kind of was inspiring you in your bass playing, especially cause like, were you, were you always a bass player? Like, was that your first instrument of choice? Yeah, it was my first real instrument. Uh, I, I, you know, I never took lessons or music theory or anything like that. Mm. Um, it was always, you know, early on, well, even with roadside, when I started with roadside, I honestly didn't really know what I was doing. Right. Uh, I don't even know if I still really know what I'm doing exactly. (laughs) You're you're doing something that works though. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, I would just put my fingers places and whatever sounded good. Yeah. And, and, uh, I, you know, and I, I knew I, 
I knew what I wanted to my bass to sound like in my head. You know, I knew I had bass players that I liked. Yeah. Um, and bass sounds that I connected to. So I just tried to create the sound I was hearing in my head, but also just be honest and true to what came out of me. Yeah. And, and that's what happened, you know, uh, just those kind of bass lines. I, uh, I, I didn't really know how to play as a traditional bass player. Mm. I, I didn't really know how to do that. Um, but I also grew up on those punk bands too. Yeah. So it, that's just the, the kind of playing that came out. Um, it's just how I expressed it. Uh, you know, my thoughts on the bass. Yeah. I wonder if some of that, did some of that you think come from, like you'd mentioned kind of getting into some like new wave or alternative bands as opposed to just being completely submerged in like punk and hardcore sort of thing like feeling because it's it's i guess maybe one way to describe your bass playing is very melodic if that mm -hmm. if that works um yeah and so i'm just wondering like did that instead because a lot of times you hear and, and maybe this joke isn't necessarily for people who end up finding a career in playing bass in a band but like how often has it been said in some bands where it's like oh we need a bass player you play guitar do you want to play bass all right you know that sort right. of thing yeah um, and so that's why i was curious if if bass was in fact your you know your first instrument if that's what you picked up but i yeah i think i'd best describe it as kind of melodic it it does its thing that just really pulls along with the song and i like how you say like i would just put my fingers in places where it sounded good <laughs> like you know no second yeah. thought about it and I, I really, I love hooks and songs. And, you know, I, growing up in the eighties, pretty much, you know, every song you heard on the radio or anywhere had a monster hook, you know, there just, there was so many hits. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that probably even like got, you know, soaked in to my playing. Just, I always wanted to write something melodic and that had a hook yeah. that really complemented the song. Yeah. And that that melodically would complement the guitar. Uh that that was always a goal of mine and still is. Yeah. Um but uh and you know, I at that time too, you know, I was listening to you know bands like Rodan and um uh you know Tara Jane O'Neill, the bass player in that band is awesome, you know, and she wasn't really a traditional kind of bass player. She was more angular and Yeah. Uh, had some cool melodies. Um, but, you know, then you have like Peter Hook from New Order, who's my favorite bass player of all time. But he, um, I wasn't really necessarily playing like him at that point too much. But I think there, you know, he definitely influenced my sense of melody mm. and really focusing on a hook in a line, like make it, make it where people remember this bass line, you know, yeah. where it's catchy yeah um let's move on then to the next song that you had picked which is sperm ridden burden
this is the opening track off of Eight Hours Away from Being a Man. And I believe there's a good chance that either this was... I didn't take the time to look up, but I've known about this song for quite some time. And you you mentioned on um, on Washed Up Emo about how you thought like maybe like this song kind of gave you guys some trouble because so we didn't really talk about signing to tooth and nail was that was the band already on tooth and nail when you jumped on board yes they were and so like did you grow up in that scene at all like obviously tooth and nail being you know focused on bringing in you know christian bands and all that kind of stuff was that something that you had, were familiar with and had come out of, or was it more just you happened to meet some people and that's what they were doing and you jumped on board? I was familiar with it. Um, you know, growing up in Tulsa, Oklahoma, you're surrounded by religion and sure, Christ- yeah. Christianity to be specific. Yeah. So, um, you know, my whole life I grew up going to church. I, I went to a Christian school. Yeah. So, you know, I was just saturated with that stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, I, I can not not that I want to or I'm proud of it, but I you know, I could tell you everything about the book of Revelation, but I can't right. I still count on my fingers. Yeah. You yeah. know what I mean? That's like a Christian <laughs> Christian school education for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. Um so and I, I still have a lot of issues with that stuff. Um, but so you know, uh but with all that existing, you know, when Tooth and Nell came out, they uh, in the, those early releases, you know, being and having friends too that were Christians and stuff, mm-hmm. and and me like coming, you know, going in and out of that, you know, I, if you're raised around it, you know, you're just kind of in it, whether or not you really know it or not. For sure, yeah. Um, but uh, so yeah, it's like all of a sudden this this record label comes out with like these bands that are kind of cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, whoa, like, like Starflyer 59, um, yeah. silver record. I was just like, wow. Like that, <laughs> I listened yeah. to that record every day. Yeah. And, uh, because it was just an insanely good record and still is. Mm. So I had learned about tooth and nail and I was excited about it. And, um, you know, I, I had seen Blenderhead come and play Oklahoma and that was Matt John. Matt Johnson's band, yeah. you know, who later played in Roadside. Yeah. So yeah, I was familiar with it uh, and a fan of some of that stuff. So when I got up there, um, uh, you know, I was meeting those people and sure. stoked on it, you know. So, um, so yeah, I was familiar with Tooth and Nail, uh, and then, so yeah, I just hopped on in Roadside when they were already on, but then as we started progressing. As roadside, it 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 kind of became a problem for us. Yeah, uh, because you know, in the mid '90s, Tooth and Nail had was kind of a controversial label, especially in Seattle. It was, and we were a band that we we didn't really have any Christian connections in that kind of way, and we were just. You know, we were into Rodan and Don Caballero and Slint and yeah. all these bands. Yeah. And those are the kind of bands that we wanted to play with. And we were in that scene in Seattle. But we it we had to work way harder to be accepted or, you know, in that kind of scene just because of that connection. Mm. So that was hard 
hard for us. Um, but a cool thing was uh, at that time, uh, Tim Owen from Jade Tree had become friends with Brandon Ebel at Tooth and Nail. Okay, yeah. So we got to know Tim Owen, and uh, so that was a great connection. Just the Jade Jade Tree in the '90s was like pretty yeah. massive, you know. For sure, yeah. So, so yeah, we you know we got to got to know Tim, and w- there was even at one point w- there was like a we were close to signing with J tree. Mm. Um, but, uh, so yeah, you know, it was, it was difficult being in on a label like tooth and nail in the nineties for a band like we were. Yeah. Well, and so like going back is with the song sperm ridden burden. I know this one in particular, you had to, even in like the, the CD book, you had to include like a little, note right that kind of explain the meaning behind the song because i mean oh god forget oh god forbid you have the word sperm in a in a song title and right. uh, it's like so, I mean, we're all that, made of it you know yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's an image um <laughs> but like that like that that just had to have been something and you weren't for sure you weren't the only band on tooth and nail that had to deal with this because i can remember seeing it with other bands who you know i brought cds home and they'd have to have little you know, liner notes or whatever, explaining the meaning of a song because a Christian bookstore, if that wasn't there, was going to be like, well, no, we can't support this. Um, but why, why did you pick this song as one of, one of your favorite roadside songs? Well, this, uh, uh, I wrote this song and, uh, it was just a really personal song to me. And it it was the first time that I had written a song that, was that personal and uh had a real narrative mm. about it um I, I i do feel like the song came to me in a way too uh um but it was also one of those songs where i literally was like i put my fingers on the bass and just turned my distortion pedal on and started hitting the strings kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. like that that chord that opening bass chord, it like if I could show you that chord, you would be like, this does not make sense musically at all. <laughs> like it really does. It's it's yeah. just total n- noise. And if you don't have a distortion pedal on it, like it, it people will leave the room if you play that. <laughs> like yeah. it's that bad. So I, I liked how I was able to create this song out of that baseline that mm. makes no sense musically at all. Yeah. It's so discordant that it's like painful. Yeah. So that was another aspect I really like about that song. And, you know, and then, uh, just Matt Johnson's drum beat. It just sounds like just a room falling in on top of you. Yeah. You know, it's just so like crazy and, it's just such a, it's just a wild, emotional, uh, rampage of a song. Mm. You know, it's just unhinged. Yeah. And it's just completely pure, uh, pure fury, emotion, hurt, uh, anger, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and like a, what, two, two and a half minutes or something? Yeah, it's not very long. <laughs> I think when yeah. I was like, when I was, I was listening to it at one point and I was, um, I went to look up the lyrics online and I think, I think I ended up on like song meanings like that website. 
And uh, someone commented saying that you wrote this song as an excuse for you to just flip out during live shows. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> that's awesome. It was really good for that. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was having a bad day on tour, I, I honestly can remember sitting in the van being like, well, at least I get to play Sperm and Burden tonight. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, uh, I'm going to feel better after that. Hmm. That's awesome. It's great when a song like really stands out in uh, in that way, even right. Like where you can be like, you know what, things things maybe suck today, but this this like like you said, two and a half minutes or whatever, that's gonna make it all worth it. Like that's um, that's pretty incredible, I think. Uh, so the next song that you picked was "My Hands Are Thermometers."
uh, is the closing track off of Eight Hours Away from Being a Man. What I, I guess I should have asked, what is the the title track, or not the title track, but what's the meaning behind the title of this album? Well, Eight, eight Hours, it's a cool story. Eight Hours Away from Being a Man, uh, our friend Andrew Ryzik, uh, who played in the Tooth and Nail band Focus, mm-hmm. um, and later went on to play in the band Les Shock, um, he uh, was and still is a great friend of ours. And we were touring uh, and through California and we stayed, we would always stay with Andrew. And uh, he, at that time he was still living with his parents. And I remember we were all at the, at the dinner table at Andrew's house and his mom and dad were there. And, you know, Andrew's German and his father is just old, you know, he was this old school German guy, like wor- real working class. Yeah. And um, he, uh, I remember he asked Doug, like, what Doug does, you know, for a living. And, uh, you know, I think at that time, I, I don't know if Doug was working in like a, a video store or something. Or, right. You know, and Matt, Matt was like, uh, made coffee at a hot dog, a hot dog stand or something. So we were all kind of telling him what we did. And he was like, oh, well, you know, you need to work in a factory. You know, you need a a real job, mm. you know, like eight hours, you know. And uh, we were talking about it later. And D- Doug made the comment. He said, well, you know, I guess I'm eight hours away from being a man. Hmm. <laughs> and it was just like, whoa, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's a great title. So yeah. we yeah. So we named the record after that. And the cool thing is, is Andrew actually had a really big part in the artwork on that record. He, all the font or the the writing in the record, he did. He took the head of a nail, and dipped it in ink, and okay. wrote all the credits for the record. That's cool. So a- Andrew is that. Andrew and his dad were a big part of that record. That you guys definitely have. Um, I mean, not just record names titles that are interesting but i think like every one of your song titles is like something that there none of them are generic to say the least <laughs> uh but what about my hands are the thermometers uh stands out for you like why why did this make it as one of your five favorite roadside songs uh well if i could also talk about the title of that song yeah. i think yeah. is also a really cool story uh, i don't think many people know is uh, you know, Matt worked at a hot dog coffee stand hmm. uh, out in front of a hardware store. And uh, so he would tell me stories of people getting coffee that was, you know, too cold for them or too hot for them or whatever. I like, I like where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so at, at at one point, you know, he would just call me. He's, he'd be like, you know, look, man, my hands aren't the thermometers. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when handing a coffee to somebody. Yeah. So we named it My Hands Are the Thermometers. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds like, you know, like a smart ass kind of response to, like, I, I worked at a gas station for years and sometimes people just say like stupid things and you're like, I just want to give you a stupid response. And that's right, like kind exactly. of what it sounds like. Like, dude, my hands are the thermometers. This coffee temperature is absolutely perfect. Now, please <laughs> right. have a good day. <laughs> but well, I, you know, I... I love that. I really love that song playing it live. It was another one I really looked forward to to yeah. play. 
um, I really love the recording of it. it. It's another one of those just really wild, unhinged songs uh, on record. Uh, I really enjoy the bass line, uh, that kind of circular. That's it's the one I was talking line. about earlier. Yeah. Yeah. And that, uh, I love how, you know, Doug's guitar wraps around that. Um, that was challenging to play live sometimes, you know, cause right. a lot of times we'd end with that song. So by that time, you know, my, my arm was the size of just, a, <laughs> just on fire, <laughs> you know, like a car muffler or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm just trying to, I just always remember just trying to hang on on that yeah. part, you know, cause I'm just playing that pattern over and over and Matt's just like beating the shit out of the drums behind me. And Doug's yeah. just, you know, it was just so visceral, yeah. uh, live and, um, just sweat pouring off of us. And so I, I just, I, that song has always been that way for me. It's just been so intense and, and I feel like we captured that, that intensity on record too. So yeah, it's just a really magical song, uh, mm. and and all the all the different parts, like how we go into the real stop start stuff. Yeah, uh, it was just it was another one of those songs, man. But uh, like you know, at the end of the day, you knew you were going to play that one, and you're going to feel yeah. better after it. it. Yeah, there there is something to be said, I think, about this song. Like the no- the notes that I had on it were about the bass. I literally said, you're going off on the bass on this song, but not in, again, like you talk about the circular pattern. So it's not like you're doing something that's, you know, maybe, maybe that, that pattern is a little bit all over the fretboard, but it doesn't feel like you're just like constantly walking everywhere. Right. Like you literally have this oh. one pattern that you're stuck. Yeah. In. <laughs> do, 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 yeah. do, 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 Yeah. It's very, uh, well, even like kind of like, humming it like that it's like very like um it's weird it's like terry riley or like steve reich or something <laughs> like right, yeah. you know what i mean it's very like monotonous like kind of uh yeah it's almost sucks. like electronic well in it, a way. It, it, sure that's a great like almost sounds like um like a rhythmic pattern that would be played on a synth but it right, definitely yeah. like draws draws the listener in because it was one of the first things i kind of noticed in listening to this song was the baseline going like, Oh, like this is, this is different. It's kind of neat. And then for me as well, like, I mean, you talked about like the energy in this song. And so like my note just says, I love how hard this song goes, but like most of your songs kind of went pretty hard too, but there's something about this song in this. I mean, obviously guitar players play a thing called a power chord. I'm pretty sure he's not playing a power chord, but the chords sound powerful right? Like they just sound big and emphatic. And yeah, it, there's, there's something about it for sure that especially, um, as a closer, it kind of really like nails it home at the end of the album. I think it makes you just want to start it all over again. Yeah, that, that was the point. Um, we put a lot of thought into the sequencing on that record. Yeah. That's awesome. So we're going to move on to, uh, like, I guess the next record, the next song comes off the next record. Egos, the size of cathedrals.
sixth track off of I Am The Day Of Current Taste. So do we talk about the title of this record first, just so that we don't jump to it at the end? Where did the title of this one come from? Yeah, uh, it's another cool one. Um, so we, the, all of us were living together in a house in Seattle in the U District. And uh, we, it was called the Hiawatha House. Because hmm. we had an H on our screen door. Yeah. And, um, you know, I mean, it was, it was like a nicer punk house. You know, we'd have shows there. Um, you know, like Murder City Devils played our living room. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Hurl, uh, Thrones, Mineral played our basement. Sweet. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a cool place to live for sure. Um, but there was a – I just remember there was, there was this random astrology book that was just – always sitting in the living room i don't even know where it came from <laughs> and you know it was kind of like every day of the year there was like you you would find your day and it would say what your you were like what the day was for okay. you yeah 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 and doug uh, on his birthday was the day of current taste <laughs> so doug was like well i am the day of current taste that's funny <laughs> um and what about the name of this song? Egos the size of cathedrals. Does that come from a? That comes from a. Is it a quote? Uh, I don't. You know, I think Doug came up with that title. So I, I'm not really sure where that came from. I that might have been just a. It sounds cool, kind of right. thing. Or was he? Um, was he by chance an Al Pacino fan? <laughs> because I think I could see Doug being an Al Pacino. There, fan. there's a because I think I saw somewhere there's a quote in the movie The Devil's Advocate. I think is where, and I'm just curious if that's where it came from. I'm, I'm going to see if I can find it again, but maybe uh, so, man. Yeah. I was, I was just like, Oh, that's kind of, that's kind of neat. I'm just want to look it up and see if that's what it was. I want to read the full quote and see if it, uh, okay. So this is what the full quote says. It says you sharpen the human appetite to the point where it could split atoms with its desire. You build egos, the size of cathedrals it's going on. Yeah. It's from the devil's advocate. So I'm curious if that's where it came from, but Oh, um, for sure. Yeah, for sure. That's where that came. That's so cool. I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> ask Doug about that. There you go. <laughs> and mention that to him, and and say that I learned something new about Roadside <laughs> Monument. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, so, what is it about this song? Now that you know that the title came from an Al Pacino quote, what what uh, what is it about this song that makes it stand out for you? Well, you know, it's got that Al Pacino vibe, uh, <laughs> but no, it um. I've uh, we we tuned down super low on this song. Yeah, uh, I can't. I think it might have been. I'm my E string is tuned down to C, mm. um, and I really love the way that my bass sounds on it. Just that grinding, like sludgy uh, bass sound that I yeah. was able to get for it. Yeah, um, and uh, this was. Uh, you know, I, I've talked to Doug about, uh, like, I thought we played this song live, but Doug thinks that we didn't play it live. Interesting. So uh, <laughs> I don't know if we actually did or not. Um, yeah. But for some reason in my mind, I really liked playing the song live. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's it's kind of strange. But, uh, but uh, yeah, I just, I I liked the, the complexity of the song. I liked the heaviness. I yeah. like all the, the time changes. Yes, but yeah. I also like how melodic it is. Yeah. Um, 
it's funny it's, almost, it's like a pop song in a way right but it's just it's super heavy it's funny because I just noticed in my notes, my last note on this song is what's the secret to your bass tone? Because it's super gnarly on this song. So you, you mentioned like tuning that low E. You said down to a C? I was down to C, yeah. yeah. Which um, is funny because now I feel like a lot of bands are just doing that, right? Like this day and age, right. there's a lot of down tuning. But at that time, that's, that's a little... Because you were playing on a four string then, not a five? Right, four string. Yeah. yeah. So you're like, who needs a five string? I'll just tune down as low as I want. Um, But yeah, you mentioned like the time changes and stuff like that. Like that's the back half of this song is where I don't know how many times I've put this song on and, you know, it's kind of playing, it's doing its thing. And uh, all of a sudden it gets to the part where it just kind of, I don't know at what point exactly in the song it is, but I feel like it goes instrumental from about halfway through to the end of the song. And there's just like these different changes and starts and stops and pieces that are going on that kind of like I could be doing something else and it's just playing in the background, but all of a sudden like that grabs my attention and it's what I'm stopping, whatever I'm doing and listening to. And uh, it's the one thing that I really, really love about even discovering roadside. Not like, like, like I mentioned earlier, I'd heard of you guys back, you know, in the late nineties but never really dove into your music until even just a couple of years ago. But it's something I've noticed with the band is that every time I come back to you guys, there's more and more that I appreciate about the music. And yeah, there's, and it's just like little things like that, that kind of will almost pluck you out of nowhere and go, Hey, pay attention to this for a few seconds. You know, you talked about hooks earlier and how much you love a good hook. It's just interesting to me that, on the song like this because most times when people think hooks they think vocal hooks right like you know whatever it may be that draws someone back into the song but on this song the fact that like when you hit that instrumental part and there's something on the guitar that off the top of my head right now i can't exactly pinpoint it but like gets me every time and i go i gotta listen to that again <laughs> so That's congratulations great. on that yeah oh well thank you yeah. yeah and i i think doug and i um we were just really good uh, at playing off of each other yeah, and, and being attentive to what each other were doing and, uh, you know, co- just complimenting each other, uh, what, what chords, you know, that was all, I, I'm a huge Doug Lorig fan. He's one right. of my favorite, favorite guitar players. So for me too, my whole thing was I want to compliment what Doug is playing because I love everything he plays, so I don't want to get in the way of that. Right. And so I think, you know, we just, we just had that kind of magical connection with music um, where we just kind of knew how to write around each other melodically. Um, You know, and that's, man, that's, that kind of stuff's hard to find. Yeah. So So I'm glad I, I found it with him. So who, who's singing on this song? Is it Doug? Uh, yes. Okay. So do you know offhand if he is a dinosaur junior fan? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Cause there's, there's a certain quality. I don't know if he's heard this before, but there's a certain quality to his voice that really, really reminds me of, uh, Jay Maskus's voice. Uh huh. Yeah. I've heard that too in his voice. Yeah. So it's, it was interesting cause earlier today I was listening through these songs or maybe I was listening to, I am the day of current taste, but um 
And all of a sudden I was like, man, I really want to, I want to listen to Dinosaur Jr. Like it just kind of came out of nowhere. Mm, I was like, wait cool. a minute. I think there's something going on vocally here. That's kind of drawing me in that direction. That's reminding me of that, which is pretty neat because, um, I mean, Jay's got a, got a pretty great voice too. Uh, but yeah, the, the final song that you had, uh, picked for your five favorite roadside songs was car versus Sammy. Sammy wins every time.
closing track off of this album, and uh, I think that's a fair assumption. Semis probably win most of the time in that in that <laughs> right. instance. But uh, what's uh, what makes this song stand out for you? Well, that uh, song title wise, uh, Doug has these two friends, and they've been his childhood friends, and they're still his friends to this day. And it's Rex and Say It John, and those guys are just when those when Rex Say It John and Doug get together, mm-hmm. it is first off it's hilarious, <laughs> and they are just so witty and smart, and like the phrases or words that they come out with, yeah, or come up with, and um, the car versus semi semi wins every time is a total Rex Say It John thing um that's just something they said you know that just just out of nowhere in a conversation and your your just head blows up because you're like what did you just say (laughs) uh so we chose that for that song but at the same time that song is basically about us touring yeah um and uh matt actually wrote the lyrics to that song and i sang on that song right on so it's just about our uh our near death experiences on tour, you know, I mean, just touring in vans that should not be on the road Yeah, and, you you know, driving thousands of miles on a a rotting axle, you know, um, our van almost blowing up in in Boston in a snowstorm on the side of the road. Uh, You know, I mean, just, just that, you know, punk rock touring in the nineties, Yeah. And uh so that song's basically about that and it 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 uh I don't even know if we ever even played that song live but there's a really emotional I get a, a real emotional feeling when I listen to that song it it in a way too it's almost like a goodbye mm. to me yeah cuz it's the last song on on current taste yeah and it it's um you know and we we work so hard uh and never really i felt like we reached where we wanted to go right so it's kind of a sad song to me it's kind of like a a little bit of a frustrated goodbye uh kind of not a giving up but just uh i don't know it's just there's just a lot of loneliness would be another thing i feel in that song yeah uh but uh but but also at the end you know if you listen there's a real hopeful mood it's, to to it's, the, it's amazing um, yeah it's amazing that you chose those words because i took a note how at about five and a half minutes into the song the song it really starts feeling hopeful uh coming out of a rather somber sounding first half or so into like right. this just all of a sudden again you know the chords hit and i don't know if is there like a is there a change from you know, maybe a minor key to a major key or what the, what's going on there. It does all of a sudden just feel like maybe, you know, you as you were talking about, you know, kind of like a goodbye and a loneliness and a whatever, maybe is the word like closure. Is that what it feels like? like? Okay. You've just come to, you know, acceptance or what, but it definitely changes the vibe partway through the song. Well, I think it's like a melancholy thing and it, I don't know. It, it's kind of, I've, for me, I guess in, in, with the music I tend to be a part of mm-hmm. or that I'm really writing and, and throwing myself into, there is always a hopeful element there. This kind of reflective, hopeful thing 
Yeah. And it and it always seems to come out like whether it's the end of the song or whatever. And I think that that's just kind of like it kind of just signified our strength. Like we went through all this shit, you know, and like we 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 fought, you know, we almost died. We bled, we sweated, we cried, you know, but and here we are, but we still love each other. We still love this band and we still are proud of what we've done. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what that song is saying, you know, uh, and and almost a language only we could understand because nobody else was with us that night. The van almost blew up, you know, except the cop screaming through his like megaphone for us to get out of the van. The van's going to blow up, you know? So we, when you go through that kind of stuff, with three three people go through that together there it creates a a bond and a closeness that you can't really get without that happening and i think that's what you're hearing in that is that song you're hearing that bond that and those experiences that we had that and that's kind of our our language you know Mm. is that song it's a great song man it's a fantastic song so Roadside, so did, Roadside breaks up, and then you start Unwed Sailor. Or did you start Unwed Sailor before Roadside broke up, or was it kind of at the same time? Like, uh, it was it was after I I had I had started coming up with some Unwed Sailor ideas during Roadside, but they didn't really fit. They were too yeah. not happy, but too right. kind of jumpy, right? And too, uh, you know, there, there was just there was no discordant dark element at all. Mm. You know, it was like, uh, all melody. Uh, so I, you know, I just kind of had those sitting there. Um, so after roadside broke up, uh, I, I played, I was also uh, playing in Pedro the lion at that time. Yeah. And, um, so I was doing that and then I left Pedro the lion and then I fully just dove into Unwed Sailor at that point. Right. And so Pedro, real briefly, actually, it's funny because as we were talking about, uh, well, the title, Car versus Semi, Semi wins every time. It was reminding me of uh, a Pedro song off of the latest album, Phoenix. I think the mm. song is Black Canyon. Is that what it's called? I think that's which one it is. Anyways, he's like singing about... Uh, um, a car accident back in the highway up and all this kind of stuff. And I think a semi is oh. involved in it, but anyway, um, so, so, but did Dave Bazan, did he play with you initially in unwed sailor or was that like a, a thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah. he was the first drummer. Uh, he played on the, he played drums on the firecracker EP, mm. which the first unwed sailor release. And yeah. he also played guitar on that release. Um, uh, Casey Westcott, who later went on to, be in the fleet boxes okay played yeah. guitar yeah. on that ep as well yeah um we had a uh, melissa paladino who played uh uh violin in the danielson family okay uh, yeah. she played on that record yeah uh so yeah it was um and it, that that was a wild experience man uh, you know because i i had these bass lines written and these structures and i i just brought them to dave and uh we you know we just we kind of messed around with them a little bit and then just went straight in and recorded them Mm. in this like 
trailer, like this mobile home yeah. uh, in Seattle. And, you know, I think my base was in the bathroom and Dave was <laughs> set up in the living room. And yeah. <laughs> um, we just like cranked that EP out, you know, and a lot of it was just written on the spot as far as like the drums and guitars and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. So what's, so you said you had like some of some bass lines written going into that. Um, in general, when it comes to writing an unwed sailor song, because obviously it's, I, I mean, I guess it's instrumental. There are times where vocals appear, but they, from what I've experienced with the band anyway, t- tend to appear more in an instrument sort of thing, you know, not necessarily mm-hmm. singing lyrics, but just singing melodies. Um, so what's it, what's it like sitting down to write a song for unwed sailor? Is it just do you kind of sit and noodle on the bass for a little bit until you find something that, you know, kind of works? You go, oh, I think I can develop a song about that. Or are you writing some of this stuff with other people? Uh, it, it all starts with the bass. Uh, and it's exactly what you said. It's, it's like me picking up my bass to move it across the room and I mm-hmm. start noodling on something and I'm like, okay, yeah. I like that. Yeah. Um, and then I just spend the next hour, uh, advancing off that idea um and that that that's especially now that the current my current writing pattern that's what i do and then and then i'll record it on my phone yeah and then i've got a little ableton set up here and i'll go in and lay out the structure the main baseline and then i'll start stacking other baselines on top of that to where at this point, you know, I'll have three or four bass lines going on top of each other, hmm. uh, which is kind of a new a new thing in Unwood Sailor. Like, I'm just really, like, pushing the bass guitar a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it's always been central in Unwood Sailor, but uh, these past couple of records that we've done, I've really started doing multiple bass lines at the same time. Right. Which... which- um, which has proven to be kind of a challenge live. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> even though we haven't been able to play live the past year and a half, but yeah. it's now it's, we're really having to figure out stuff. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's not as easy just to play a song live. You know, we have to yeah. really figure it's, out what parts are necessary. Well, and, it, and it's kind of funny because I mean, it's no one would bat an eye if you said, Oh, we have two guitar players in our band or even, you know, in some instances, sometimes we got three guitar players in our band. Right. But for whatever reason, like typically bass, it's like you have one bass player, you know, and like right. that's it. So like, obviously there's the, the outlier in that where there are some bands that, you know, have multiple bass players or at least songs where that's the case. So maybe that's just a thing. Maybe you got to bring in another bass player and just write all of your stuff that way from now on. Like, Nope, multiple bass well, lines is what we're doing. Oh, I can't really stop. Cause I, I'm on a roll with it. Um, <laughs> yeah. But uh, we do, we're a four piece live and um, uh, our friend Jason Barker is playing second guitar for us. And uh, on some of these future shows, he's going to be playing second bass guitar live. So there will be two bass guitars. Yeah. Um, But there are other songs where we figured out that he can play some of the lead bass lines on guitar. So he on the album the lead bass lines are on bass but live right. they'll be on guitar yeah so let's talk about some of the new stuff specifically uh, your new album that came out this year truth or consequences
came out on Spartan Records, and I think it's it's interesting because as we've had this conversation, you know, obviously, Roadside Monument does not sound like Unwed Sailor, right? Like there's there's no confusing the two bands, but there is this common thread I think between the two of them, and you've brought it up, and it's just making making the bass really almost like marry with the guitar. Like it's one it's what I notice a lot on this record true uh, truth or consequences is just how well those bass lines those bass parts are thought out to intertwine with the guitar not just to like provide you know like thickness or backing to the track or whatever just filling out the sound it's not doing that you're you're legit playing like lead melodies in some of these songs as you mentioned like on your bass and i think that really kind of comes and is is obvious in you know, roadside and, and truth or consequences. And it's, so I think I read that it's been described as a sonic examination of particular moments and memories in your life. How does that play out in writing an instrumental song? I don't know if those were like your specific words or or a rough translation of your words, but how does that play out in writing an instrumental song to grab those specific moments and memories? Well, the thing about Unwood Sailor, a lot of times the meanings of the songs will kind of come to me afterwards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, Unwed is, is, is a, it's kind of a mystical thing, man. I, I don't try too hard. Uh, I found when I try to write songs or anything with Unwed in a musical sense, it doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, uh, I, I really, it's almost, it's like allowing it to come to me, right. like the ideas and the subject matter. And, you know, there's some songs that don't have a subject matter. It's just a feeling that I really like or a mood that I really like. Mm-hmm. Um, but then there's others like, um, for example, the song Paladora. Uh, um, that, that song is about my father in his early days, you know, growing up and like making, uh, not necessarily making a name for himself, but he was just a really hard worker that came from nothing to a pretty successful guy, you know, right. uh, through just a lot of hard work. And he lived in this like really, really shitty, uh, apartment complex called Paladora in Tulsa. And I would drive by that and, and, pass it and i was like man my dad lived in there like when he was like 20 (laughs) or something you know and it's just falling apart and everything um but then i saw what kind of man he became you know like uh and so that just fascinated me like how he went from you know living and and just like with roaches and mice you know to that just Mm -hmm. through hard work and determination yeah um so yeah, Palador is just about that. Um, so when you and I was to say when you attach that story or that meaning to a song like this, or you know, an instrumental song, obviously, like with lyrics, it's obvious how that meaning can be portrayed, right? Like obviously, someone can write a song about whatever, and they can clearly be singing about that or wrapping it in metaphor, however they want to do it. But so when you're when you're attaching that meaning to a song are you you know when like playing it one time are you just kind of like as you're writing it are you are you just kind of trying to put yourself in that place 
and whatever kind of comes out in that regard? Or is it you've written this song and, you know, it's, maybe it's even done. And then when you sit back and listen to it, you're like, oh, man, thinking about driving by that apartment complex and how your dad came through that and what he is now and all these like pieces coming that way. Yeah, that's it. it it's how the mood and the feeling comes mm. together. It's how it makes me feel. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, but, you, you know, it, it's what's there. I wrote a new song the other day and this was really odd. Um, I, um, it was when, uh, Sam Jane from the band link, mm -hmm. uh, died a few months ago. And, uh, I was, uh, you know, still am a big link fan. And yeah. that, that was an era of Seattle where I, you know, I lived there. I'd see Sam. I was never friends with him, but I'd see him walking around and, yeah, yeah. you know, I just thought, I always thought he was a cool guy. And, um, and I was just thinking about that, you know? And, uh, so I wrote this song a couple days later, uh, and I started listening to the song and I was like, dude, this kind of reminds me of Link. Okay. Yeah. Like it, it, I started making this connection, you know, and then the, then the song title popped in my head, uh, final feather. And, uh, one of my favorite Link songs was the song pigeons and okay, it yeah. had that line about the feather you know hmm. um so it just like kind of created itself around that's cool. this thought i had been having yeah you know i've been thinking about sam and his influence on me and then this thing just came, came together. together yeah uh so you know there's things like that and that that's that's kind of weird because that doesn't usually happen uh yeah. So that was kind of a cool little experience. Um, but, you know, then, for example, uh, there's another song on the record called Voodoo Roo, which is just straight up about my cat, Voodoo Roo. Nice, yeah. And uh, I, I was, uh, when I was writing that song, I was in my bedroom and I had my iPhone out and I was just playing the bass line so I wouldn't forget it. Yeah. And... Um, had no idea what I was going to call it or anything. And then uh, at the end of the song, Voodoo jumped up on the bed and meowed. <laughs> and, it, and it recorded that Yeah. as I was recording it. So I was like, this song's Voodoo Roo. I mean, yeah. this is Voodoo <laughs> Roo's song. And uh, so then when we went in the studio and we were actually recording Voodoo Roo, uh, I was thinking about her and her little personality and like her, her little thing she does, you know, that, yeah. that only I would know cause I'm around her every day, Yeah, how she's kind of clumsy and how, when she falls, she never lands on her feet. Right. You know, <laughs> like, so I kind of, I, I, that was the song I played all the instruments on. Uh, so I kind of like created the song to be a little clumsy and a little, uh, disjointed at times where it's not, uh, everything's not rhythmically perfect. Yeah. So I intentionally created the sound of it to almost sound how I feel like Rudy would sound if she was a song. <laughs> That's incredible. I like it, man. I think, I think we can with, with, uh, cat anecdotes, we'll, uh, we can wrap up 
our chat there. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, I don't know, cool. I don't, man. Know, I don't know how we top that. I would love to. <laughs> I would love to talk about that sick record collection that you have behind you at some point. Oh, in time, but <laughs> yeah, you're you're seeing one side. I you're yeah. where you are is another side. So oh, and then I've got amazing. another got another room full over here. So that this is this is me collecting records seriously since you know early nineties. Yeah. Um, I do have some other stuff in here, you know, that I picked up in the eighties and stuff, but that's awesome. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of, a lot of stuff here. <laughs> yeah. It, no, it looks like it'd be a ton of fun, but, um, yeah, man, thanks for, thanks for hanging out and, and chatting with us today. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me.